Okay, we are going to spend a few minutes now talking about the nursing process in a little bit more detail. The nursing process is five steps, the first of which is assessment, then we have diagnosis, then planning, implementing, and evaluation. So now let's talk about each of those steps uh, separately and in a little bit more detail. So the first step is assessment. The purpose of our assessment is to gather data about our patient and in you know, I mean, the easiest way to say it, make a judgment about this person, right? What are the things that I see? What are the things that I'm concerned about? What are the things that I feel good about, right? Um, what, what, what sort of plan can I come up with for this patient that is going to be individualized to them, that is going to be centered on them, that is going to promote them returning to you know, the highest level of independence that they can uh, prior to their illness, um, what is going to support them not only physically, but also psychosocially as well. And the final piece of that is what kind of help am I going to need? You know, what are the other services that I can predict uh, needing for this patient to help them, you know, as I said, return uh, to that prior level of functioning, um, what does this person as an individual need, um, you know, as I care for them as a nurse? So when we talk about our nursing assessment, there's a few characteristics uh, that we need to keep in mind. One, our nursing assessment should be purposeful, right? I don't want to go in and just be like, hey, what you doing? I mean, we do want to visit with our patients. We do want to develop rapport and, and you know, build a, a nice nurse-patient nurse -patient relationship. But I also want to understand that even in doing that, I am constantly assessing and reassessing my patient. So I do want to have a purpose, right? If I went in and visited my patient an hour ago, they said that they were in pain and I gave them pain pills, then when I'm going back in 45 minutes, it is with the intent of seeing was that pain medication I gave effective, right? This is a purposeful visit and we are getting something. We're adding data every time we interact with our patient. I also wanna make sure that it is prioritized, right? If I go in and my patient is having difficulty breathing, that trumps everything else, right? I don't wanna be like, well, hold on, let me listen to your bowel sounds. This is gonna be a prioritized assessment that I complete. Um, whatever the patient's chief complaint is, that is gonna be what I'm making sure I'm paying um, you know, very close attention to. I also wanna make sure that my nursing assessment is complete. Uh, we are starting to, you know, really kind of get into the systems now. We've talked about skin integrity and we talked about, um, and I'm going to talk about how they need to be complete and systematic kind of together here, right? So we talked about uh, skin integrity and we we mentioned that if you have somebody with poor circulation, you might see their lower extremities be a kind of a purple, dusky color. We might see either really cool uh, or you know increased warmth uh, skin temperature in those areas. So we need to understand that even though something is happening 
to one system, it could potentially affect the other systems, right? So that's why our prior, our nursing assessments need to be both complete and systematic so that we can start linking those concepts together, making those connections. They also need to be factual and accurate. Um, remember that physicians make medical decisions based off of our observations, right? And we're making decisions based off of our observations. So I want to make sure that I am doing a thorough job, getting an accurate uh, you know, baseline for this patient because I am going to develop a plan and come up with interventions based on what I'm seeing. And I'm also gonna communicate those to others, right? And it does need to be a relevant assessment. So if I have that person who comes in and they're complaining of terrible abdominal pain, well, then probably it's not my priority, um, you know, my priority or is there great relevance in, well, you know what, you should take off your shoe and let me check your pedal pulses because, you know, I, I got to do a head to toe, right? Yes, we need to get to that, but let's make sure our assessment is relevant to uh, the problem, especially when we are doing a focused assessment, which we'll talk about here in a second. And then we want to make sure that we are documenting those assessments in a way that it is not difficult for somebody else to look at it and gather and, you know, see data, obtain data from our assessment. We're fortunate right now that much of our uh, documentation is done in an electronic medical record. And a lot of times we're just clicking boxes, right? So it is done in a very systematic way. Um, it's not that we're doing a big narrative assessment or a narrative documentation for a head to toe assessment anymore. So talking about the different types of assessments, we are gonna start out by discussing an initial, uh, I'm sorry, an initial assessment. Initial assessments are completed, uh, you know, pretty much when the patient is admitted to the hospital. So the patient may have presented to the emergency room complaining of abdominal pain, right? Now they are being admitted for a possible small, small bowel obstruction. So I want to begin this assessment with a patient interview, right? This is where I'm gonna gather all of that subjective data. So remember, subjective data is the data that is uh, based on that patient's perception. It's not something that I can see or experience myself. It's gonna be everything that I'm taking the patient's word for. So things like pain, um, if they report they're anxious, if they report they're nauseous, you know, I might see physiological indicators of those things, but really it's the patient's opinion on that. So I will start out with that with that patient interview and I'll be asking them, you know, what brought you here? When did these symptoms start? What led you to feeling that, you know, it was time to go to the emergency room? Tell me about your previous hospitalizations. Tell me about any previous surgeries you have. What medications do you take? You know, what vitamins, what, what supplements do you take? Tell me about the pain. When did it start? Did anything make it better? Did anything make it worse? So this initial assessment is really, I mean, as much um, talking as it is our physical hands-on part. And that in some ways is going to be, um, I mean, even more important because we're only going to get from our physical assessment the then and now, right? So I want to... Um, you know, have the subjective data that my patient is going to bring to tell me, well, what was it? I see what it is right now, but tell me what it was like two days ago, right? We're really relying on our patient to be the one who fills in those blanks for us. Um, 
And then from there, obviously, you know, we would go to our, our physical assessment because I do need to get the now data, you know, what am, what am I seeing? So this is gonna be my head to toe assessment, but then it's also gonna probably include a bit of a focused assessment, which we'll talk more about here in just a second, um, you know, that does kind of hone in on whatever that patient's chief complaint is. So our focused assessment, this is uh, gonna be, you know, if we're, we're probably doing a head-to-toe assessment once per shift, right? Um, or whatever it is that the facility and that specific unit uh, requires us to do. But in you know places where I've worked, it was kind of a one a one head to toe assessment per shift. But then you're doing those focused assessments as often as you need to, as often as it is um, specified. You know, sometimes you'll have somebody who. Um, Let's say they have a new cast put on and you would need to go in and check the circulation of that cast, you know, every 30 minutes at first. Or if we had a patient in restraints, right, I'm going to go check the circulation of the wrist because they're wearing, or I'm sorry, the circulation of their hand because they're wearing wrist restraints. I'm going to go do that every 30 minutes, right? But sometimes our focused assessments, you know, right now with the patients in, you know, the ICUs with COVID, for example, they're probably not listening to bowel sounds you know, every 30 minutes or every two hours, but they probably are listening to lung sounds, right? So those focused assessments are the assessments that we're doing that really hone in on whatever is specifically going on or specifically going wrong with that patient. Um, and then too, our focused assessments might originate from a new patient complaint, you know? I might have a patient who comes in with that bowel obstruction, but then while they're there, I go in and I'm like, oh, how are you doing? And then they say, I have a terrible headache. Well, I'm not gonna listen to their bowel sounds in relation to their headache, but I am gonna now do an, a focused assessment on what's, you know, potentially what's causing that headache. Maybe I'm going to get a set of vitals. I'm going to look at cranial nerves. Um, you know, so we're going to go from there. Doo, doo, doo. And then, oh. then uh, we have our uh, emergency assessment. Sorry, I had a cat jump up and walk across, walk across my notes here. Um, our emergency assessment is really when our ABCs are threatened, right? When we see something wrong with our airway breathing circulation, if I go in and my patient is not responding, doesn't appear to be breathing, again, not the priority to check the patient's capillary refill at that moment, right? I have to figure out what is going on with my patient. Why are they not responding? I'm going to, you know, look, listen, and feel. Are they breathing? I'm going to get out my stethoscope and, and if I can't, you know, maybe I think I feel a pulse, but it's really, really faint. I'm going to listen to their, their chest, you know, and, and I'm going to go from there. So this is, there is something life-threatening happening with my patient. Um, maybe they have a pulse, they are breathing, but they're still not responding. Well, you better believe I'm going to be checking vital signs. I'm going to be getting a blood glucose, seeing what my patient's blood sugar is. So figure out what is happening right there in that moment that is making my patient uh, not responsive. What is the life-threatening situation that's happening in that moment? 
Uh, then we also have time-lapsed assessments, and these are kind of those reassessments. So I mentioned earlier, you know, that when our assessments are purposeful, we go back into the room, we see how our patient's doing. So these time-lapsed assessments, they allow us to compare new data to our baseline data. So I give a pain pill, an hour later, I'm going back in, I'm seeing if that pain pill was effective. Um, my patient, you know, asked for an ice pack, 20 minutes later, I'm going in, is this ice pack helping? Oh, it really isn't. Well, let's see, maybe we are gonna have to, you know, take that pain pill after all or whatever it is that we didn't do 20 minutes ago because I'm not seeing a positive effect from the intervention that I did. So those time-lapsed assessments allow me to compare to my, my baseline and look at my trends. Um, the other thing too, before we move on to our um, talking about the diagnosis step is the difference between a medical assessment and a nursing assessment. The medical assessment really does focus on what the pathologic condition is that's causing you know, the reason that the patient is being admitted to the hospital. The nursing assessment, yes, we want to pay attention to that too, but I also want to look at how is the patient doing in response to that health problem, right? So um, throughout this whole thing, we'll, we'll pick on a patient with a small bowel obstruction, right? So this patient, they come in, they haven't pooped in five days. Um, that's a problem, right? And our, our medical assessment is going to focus on how do we do that. But I'm also looking at how has this person uh, or how is this person who hasn't pooped in five days, how are they doing? Are they, you know, in pain? Have they, um, you know, what have they tried? Has it affected anything else? So we're really looking as nurses at holistically, right? It's not just the problem. It's how is the problem affecting that person? Um, and how can we support? How can we prevent? How can we promote, um, you know, education, all of that? What can I do for this patient? And like I told you guys in lecture, I feel like it is you know, I, I gave the example of a hip fracture, right? The surgeon's going to fix that hip fracture, but me as the nurse, my assessments are going to be what are the risks of or for this patient in developing any complications associated with having that hip fracture and spending that time in the OR. So our nursing assessments really are more uh, broad than a medical assessment. So now I have completed the assessment. I've gathered all my data. I've talked to my patient. So I've done both the, the interview and then where I got all that really, really great subjective data. Then I did my physical assessment where I got all that objective data, right? And that's the stuff that I can measure. You know, I can... Um, I can get numbers for, for vital signs, right? I can measure a wound. So that's that objective data that I can see, you can go in and validate. I have developed or I've seen how this patient's data, you know, validates some of my concerns, how maybe although I was worried about this after I assessed this patient, I actually don't think that that's going to be a problem for that patient. So now I'm starting to go into diagnosis mode, right? So I have come up with some, some guesses. I've kind of developed some hypotheses. I've done my Braden scale, right? So I have this idea of how susceptible I think this patient is to developing a pressure injury. I have done my, uh, my pain assessment, you know, so I know what has and has not worked for this patient in the past. So now I, like I said, I go into that hypothesis mode and I'm, I'm gonna determine my nursing diagnosis at this point. So I'm going to also 
even though you know we know that patients have to be looked at individually, I am gonna kind of compare it to what have I seen previously when I'm taking care of patients with similar problems? Um, what do, you know, if I had somebody who, um, uh, you know, I did the Braden scale on and they came back at very, you know, at a very high risk of developing a pressure injury. I am going to think back, you know, I had a lady who reminded me of this patient and, um, you know, she was very, very reluctant to us going in and, and turning her because she was in so much pain from, you know, from that broken hip. So what are the things that I can put in place right now because of that patient? So I'm going to come up with these, with these, with this diagnosis. I know that she's at risk for impaired skin integrity. I know that she's at risk for um, developing pneumonia, whatever it is that I'm coming up with. So that's what these diagnoses are going to focus on, are those potential complications um, and, and these problems that I foresee for this patient. And remember, it doesn't always have to be negative, <laughs> but it does seem that that's where we focus most of our time on. But the goal of these diagnoses, like I just mentioned, I'm predicting what I think could happen to this patient and then wanting to prevent those complications from occurring. I'm also gonna be managing the complications if they do occur, right? Because sometimes despite our very best efforts, we cannot stop these things from happening. And then I'll be promoting health by way of education, by way of teaching, you know, by way of getting the family involved, the caregivers involved, other people involved. I'm not having to do all of this by myself, right? So I'm predicting, preventing, uh, managing things, and then also promoting, uh, you know, my patient to return to that, that independence. The types of diagnoses that we have, um, you know, we are going to focus mostly on nursing diagnoses and potential complications. Um, and then just kind of keep in mind the medical diagnosis is the problem that the physician is treating the patient for. The nursing diagnosis is what I can independently treat the patient for. And then our collaborative problems, we have both the physician and the nurse uh, providing interventions. So going back to a patient who's compli complicated, they're all complicated, right? Going back to a patient who's constipated, um, the doctor may prescribe, you know, Miralax or magnesium citrate or something like that to help the patient. But I can also tell the patient, hey, let's get up and go for a walk, right? Let's see if we can get the bowels moving that way. Or why don't I bring you a warm prune juice? Or tell me about your diet. You know, let's talk about some high fiber foods that we can add to it. So in this case, we have a problem that we're, that we're managing collaboratively, right? All right. Um, oh, some other t terminology that's kind of related to our nursing diagnoses. You know, we might go through and let's say I did a, uh, a Braden scale, you know, I, I did a skin assessment on my person and I actually decided that, you know, I, I don't foresee this person being at risk for pressure ulcer, right? Their mobility is great. They're alert and oriented times four. They're eating all of their meals, uh, they're not incontinent. So this is not necessarily a patient who I am worried about. So you know what, I'm gonna cross that off my list, but what am I worried about for this patient? You know, what possible problems still exist? And then from there we go to, is this an actual, you know, nursing problem where we do have a patient who, um, you know, is 
let's say, so let's say they have um, somebody who already has a pressure injury, right? So they are impaired skin integrity versus a potential nursing diagnosis of risk for impaired skin integrity, right? So we have to figure out, is this an actual problem already or is or does this just have the potential to become a problem? Or is this a clinical problem that isn't even a nursing diagnosis, you know? So this person, um, they have pneumonia. I'm no longer worried about, um, you know, the possibility of it happening because it's already happened and I can't treat it because this requires antibiotics. Again, I can do things to kind of, you know, collaborative, collaboratively help manage that diagnosis, um, but it does have to be, you know, in conjunction with a advanced care provider. So our types of nursing diagnosis, problem focus. So these are things like ineffective airway clearance, the impaired skin integrity, which we keep talking about. Uh, pain is another nursing diagnosis, constipation, um, you know, self-care deficits, all of those things where we see a potential problem and we're gonna focus our interventions on managing that problem. Um, our risk nursing diagnoses, these all start with risk for, right? So risk for surgical site infection, risk for falls, risk for decreased cardiac output, um, anything that we feel like is a potential problem for this patient. And then we have our health promotion. So these are our readiness. You know, um, we talked about a patient coming in and really asking a lot of questions about breastfeeding, right? Um, so this is like an enhanced for, or I'm sorry, a readiness for enhanced knowledge, or um, you can have readiness for enhanced self-care when we have somebody who, you know, now um, they had a problem with this, but they're getting better. They're starting to really be engaged in it. So now we have this readiness and we can switch our focus not to, or I'm sorry, from preventing those complications to, all right, we've reached a stable point. So now how can we build on that? When we write our nursing diagnoses, and we did, we talked about this so quickly yesterday, um, the way that we write our problem-focused nursing diagnosis is we have our whatever our diagnosis is related to whatever the factors are, and then as evidenced by those defining characteristics. So if you look at the PowerPoint, I said diarrhea is our nursing diagnosis, and diarrhea, constipation, pain, uh, anxiety, those are one of those, or those are examples of nursing diagnoses that really are, you know, kind of also medical, um, medical diagnoses too, right? So there are a couple of them where they overlap. But I have diarrhea as my nursing diagnosis, <laughs> not I have diarrhea, but di diarrhea is the nursing diagnosis I chose. And that is related to laxative abuse as evidenced by more than three loose liquid stools in the last 24 hours. So I've got my nursing diagnosis, I have the factor that contributes to that nursing diagnosis, and then I have my evidence. So that's my validation, right? So if somebody is like, well, why are you worried about that for this patient? Um, and and if you, you know, don't wanna think of it in nursing diagnosis, then think about it as potential complication. You know, I am concerned about my patient developing pneumonia related to immobility, as evidenced by my patient is not getting out of bed, they're not turning, right? Um, so it's just whatever we select as the problem or potential problem related to whatever factors contribute to that. And, and then our evidence, again, it's just validating why we are worried about that problem for that patient. 
our risk diagnosis, those are the risk for, but we don't have the related factors. We just have the evidence by. So the example that I included in your all's PowerPoint was risk for aspiration, so risk for choking, as evidenced by the patient has an ineffective cough and an inability to sit up. So there's not really a related to factor yet because my patient hasn't actually aspirated, but I'm very concerned that my patient could aspirate, and here's why. And then our health promotion diagnoses, those are the readiness for enhanced whatever it is as evidenced by you know the defining characteristics, what's validating my thinking that this person is ready for some health promotion education at this point. So now we have done our assessment and we've come up with our diagnosis. So now it's time to put our plans into place, right? So when we are in the planning step, this is when we establish priorities. So I might identify more than one. In fact, I'm probably gonna identify more than one nursing diagnosis or potential complication for this patient. But now I need to decide where the priorities are. So let us pretend that we have, um, we have that patient who comes in with a small bowel obstruction. They haven't pooped in five days. Down in the ER, they did an x-ray. They saw that there was a large amount of stool um, in that you know, person's colon just hanging out. Um, they're in a lot of pain, they're vomiting. Um, you know, This is not a happy camper. So when I establish my priorities, that, those are gonna be my priorities. The patient might also tell me, Man, I'm really freaked out because I'm missing, you know, I'm missing work. I had to call in uh, two days in a row already, and now I'm going to be in the hospital for, you know, who knows how long. Uh, I'm hearing the patient say that. I understand that that is a valid concern of them or for them, uh, but it's not my priority in that moment. My priority is getting them you know, getting that vomiting, that pain, the fact that they haven't pooped in five days, those are my priorities. I, I'm worried about the psychosocial stuff, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and that's maybe something that I want to involve somebody else in, but it's not the priority, uh, you know, outcome that, or I'm sorry, it's not the priority uh, problem that I see for that patient in that moment. Um, then I also, in this phase, I'm gonna to start to think about, you know, what are my interventions gonna be for this person? So this person, like I said, they're vomiting, uh, they're in a lot of pain. Um, you know, yes, they're concerned about missing, missing work, but I've prioritized the vomiting and the pain. So now collaboratively, I'm probably going to expect that I'm gonna put an NG tube down this person to help relieve, you know, some of that distension and some of that pain, stop the vomiting. Um, so that's gonna be, you know, the interventions. And again, that would have to be collaborative, right? I'd have to have a doctor's order for that. But those are gonna be those things that I, that I take care of first. I'm gonna sit that person up, right? Because I'm worried about this person aspirating as they're, they're vomiting. Um, and I'm also going to communicate. I'm going to tell the patient, here's what's going to happen. You know, this is what we're going to do first. This is what we're going to do second. Please ask me questions along the way. Um, how does this sound to you? And, you know, let's, let's get moving on these things. When we have these formal care plans, which we, we kind of introduced, you know, your hospital having what we what is often referred to as an IPOC, which is that interdisciplinary plan of care. Um, you know, one of the points of that is it's it serves as a communication tool for you know everybody who's working on on that patient's case, right? So we look at it and we see this is the individualized plan of care for this patient that is going to get this patient you know, towards outcomes that are achievable and specific to that patient. 
It also allows us to set priorities, right? So we've talked about that already. We want to address X, Y, and Z first. Then let's go back, you know, and, and talk about LMNOP, right? <laughs> and, um, and it allows us to, uh, you know, to make sure that we have the right right people in the right area when, when we're ready to uh, get to, um, you know, certain points in their plan of care. Uh, the other thing too that we want to make sure when we have those formalized you know care plans is that we are going back revisiting making sure that the patient is responding to our nursing plan of care as we would anticipate and if not we may need to um, you know kind of change things as we go along or maybe we say you know we think that this patient is going to need home health care and then we find out, this patient's insurance won't cover that. So having those formal plans of care kind of allows us to stay ahead of those types of things. And maybe, um, again, you know, so I'm going to involve that care coordinator, that discharge planner early and find out, you know, what is long term uh, reasonable for this patient. So when we come up with these plans, we're gonna have the ongoing, or I'm sorry, the initial plan. So that's what am I gonna fix and solve right then? Our ongoing plan. So what are the, you know, what am I gonna put into place to kind of prevent any uh, additional complications from occurring? And then the discharge plan. So what is my patient gonna to need to go home? And what education are they gonna to need to prevent them being hospitalized for this problem again? So in our initial planning, that really does uh, a lot of times stem, or at least the um, kind of the, I guess like the first draft is what I'll say, of the um, you know plan of care it comes from that very first nursing um, admission history and physical physical assessment, right? Because they're going to be that first person to have that overall snapshot of the patient, and they're going to be coming up with here's what I saw, here's what the data told me, this is what I think could happen with this patient, this is what I see is already well managed, um, so we, we don't have to worry about that, right? That doesn't mean things won't come up along the way, but that initial plan, uh, that really does come from that initial, initial uh, assessment. Our ongoing planning, this comes from any nurse who interacts with the patient. Um, and then we also, you know, it could be that when the, the patient first got there, we didn't see, you know, let's, let's say we identified the patient at risk for developing a deep vein thrombosis, right? And initially we were like, yeah, it could happen, but, you know, no problem. We're going to give this patient injections of Lovenox, which is a medication that's going to hopefully prevent that blood clot from happening. Um, they do get up and walk a little bit. So while I am concerned about this person developing a blood clot, I'm really not all that concerned about it, right? Because I already have these ideas to put into place. But two days later, the patient is like, I hate getting those shots twice a day, and guess what? I'm gonna refuse my Lovenox. So now we have to come up with a new plan, right? Um, so we may kind of adjust our interventions, adjust our, adjust our plan to do something that takes this patient's thoughts and wishes into consideration. We'll be developing new diagnoses. Maybe there's, you know, again, like maybe there's an opportunity for some uh, enhanced knowledge. Um, and we may need to either back up or back off of or increase those outcomes and, and make them more appropriate to the patient now that we've spent more time with them. 
And then the discharge planning goals, um, this is really gonna come from the nurse who has spent the most time with that patient, who you know has an idea of the support that the patient will have uh, have at home. And really we are, we start thinking about discharge planning the minute they are admitted, right? And um, we are gonna be using our teaching in addition to our, our counseling skills to uh, make sure that our, our patient is up for the task of whatever we're asking them to go home with. And also making sure uh, you know their their support structure is on the same page with us. Um, so real quick, I do want to. Sorry, I'm just going through my notes here again. There were just things I wanted to make sure I touched on. Uh, our common errors in developing patient outcomes. Um, you know putting the outcome as our nursing intervention, that could be a problem, right? So if I say that my patient's outcome is, uh, you know, patient will not have a fall while they're here, um, that's, that's, that's fine, that's a great goal to have, but it's not an intervention, right? It's, it's not saying like how I got there. So I just need to make sure that I'm kind of separating the two, what are my goals and what are the ways that I'm gonna get there. Um, also creating goals that are not observable or measurable. So I could say, um, you know, patient will be free of pain. Well, how am I going to measure that? You know, how how will I, um, you know, what does that look like? Is that even, you know, and again, is this realistic for this patient? Maybe this is a patient who's had chronic pain for years and years and years. There's no way I can get them down to no pain, but maybe I can get them, you know, we can set a goal. They may know that having zero pain is just not going to happen. But guess what? They can go out and live their life. Um, they can manage their pain if it's at about a three. So then maybe my goal is to get this person down to a three, right? And then um, very similar to all that, writing vague outcomes. So we do want to make sure that we're specific so that we can have specific outcomes, uh, or I'm sorry, specific interventions to achieve those outcomes. And then how do we do that? We make sure we use SMART goals. And remember, those are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and that we do give ourselves a time frame. Um, that way, you know, we're, it, you know, it just brings more validity to the, to the goal. So then we kind of are going to shift here and talk about our nursing interventions. So our nursing interventions, we have a couple different types of them. We have the nurse initiated ones, and those are the ones that I can do without a doctor's order, right? They are completely independent nursing interventions. We have the physician initiated uh, interventions, which are, you guessed it, initiated by a physician, but then carried out by a nurse. So giving pain medications, right? Uh, collaborative, these are treatments that are initiated by other providers, but then again, carried out by the nurse. So I mentioned seeking out uh, guidance from a wound care nurse on what to do, right? How to treat this wound. So the wound care nurse is actually the one who's writing the orders, but then I'm carrying those orders out. Um, we wanna make sure that when we come up with inter interventions for our patient, that they are, uh, you know, that our patient's on board with them, right? So it does need to be patient-centered. The patient needs to be a part of those discussions. Um, and we need to make sure, you know, that, like I said, that they're on board with it. Um, we want to make sure that the patient knows that uh, these interventions are not, you know, ever because we're trying to, 
you know, punish them or anything like that. It's because we are trying to prevent, right? Or we're trying to manage or we're trying to promote health. So it is going to be approached with the patient in a caring way that hopefully helps to uh, build and establish trust with our patient. We also need to make sure that we are keeping in mind any cultural preferences or practices that the patient has, that we're taking into consideration their developmental background. Um, you know, what is their willingness to participate in the plan themselves? Is this gonna be like they're just laying there and I'm doing everything to and for them? Or is this going to be a collaborative between me and the patient, right? Um, and then, uh, you know, we do want to, to make sure that, um, that we're giving choices when we can. You know, there's not just a one intervention to be the end all say all. So if it doesn't go well with this one, don't be discouraged. Let's let's try this other one and make sure that our patient is aware of that too. Um, what kind of nursing interventions? You know, we already talked about like the nurse initiated versus the physician initiated, but uh, to kind of drill down into those nursing um, interventions a little bit more, we do have like direct care nursing interventions, which are, you know, the nurse is going in and directly providing care to that. But then the indirect nursing, um, indirect care nursing interventions would be things like, I recognize this patient as, you know, maybe they were just handed a cancer diagnosis and they, um, they're crying and saying that God is punishing them. Well, this is a little out of my lane. Um, so I am going to go and ask the chaplain to come in, right? So this is an indirect care because I'm not at the bedside providing care, but I am providing, you know, care on behalf of the patient um, and, you know, asking somebody else to come in. So we can aim our nursing interventions at the specific individual, or it could be a family intervention, right? Like if I am worried about, uh, you know, caregiver burden, maybe I think that this person is gonna be too much, you know, work for one person when they go home. So I'm gonna be looking at, um, you know, what nursing interventions can we start here in the hospital that will help not only the patient, but help their situation when they get home, right? And um, then we wanna make sure uh, when we are delegating, you know, if we're delegating to the family, uh, is that appropriate for the family while they're still in the hospital setting? But also, you know, it's not just the family, but like if I'm delegating things to the CNA. So we talked a little bit about that in vital signs, or when we talked about vital signs. Yes, I can delegate those vital signs to the patient, I'm sorry, to the patient. Here, take your blood pressure um, to the uh, the CNA. But there are the five rights of delegation that I need to keep in mind. So I need to make sure that I have the right task. So it needs to be something that's within, you know, whoever I'm delegating to's scope of practice. It's the right circumstances. So is this, yes, it might be something that I can delegate, but is this the right time to delegate it? Um, the right person. So can this go to a CNA? Can this go to a respiratory therapist? Can I ask the occupational therapy, you know, for help? Um, can I ask the patient's spouse for help? The right directions in communication. So if I want, you know, the, um, let's say I want the CNA to go in there and change the uh, patient's 
excuse me, the patient's colostomy bag, um, does that does that person know how to do that? Do they have you know the right equipment at the, the bedside? Do they know what to grab if it's not there? And have I used the right communication? You know, do they know exactly what I'm expecting from that? And then the right supervision and evaluation, because remember, ultimately it does come back on me, right? So if maybe the, the CNA says, you know what, I'm happy to do this. I've never done it before though. Okay, well then let me go in and let's work together on that. And then how will I evaluate that? Um, you know, how will I know that it's been performed competently? Now, when we have non-compliance in our interventions, let's talk for a second about that. Um, so it could be that our patient just flat doesn't understand the benefit. You know, if I go in and I say, okay, it's time to turn you again. And the patient's like, oh, you were just here two hours ago. I'm trying to sleep. Get the heck out of here. You know, maybe my patient doesn't understand why I'm in there trying to turn them every two hours, right? So education, it's so important. Um, we're going to have more buy-in from our patients if they get the, the reasoning behind it. Um, and it could be too that the patient just doesn't really value the outcome I'm shooting for, right? Maybe they are kind of at a place where they're feeling low about things and they don't really care if they have, um, you know, if I, if I had a, a readiness for a health promotion and I said the patient is going to state three ways they can change their diet to reduce their cholesterol. And maybe the patient is like, I could care less about that. I take a little pill called Lip Lipitor. I don't need to change my diet. You know, it's fine. I've got, I've got the solution right here in this bottle. So we need to make sure that, uh, you know, it is something that is, that's important to our patient. Otherwise we are not going to get, um, you know, get their buy and get their compliance on it. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, do they have the resources that they need to, you know, to maintain that intervention or that implementation. Then finally, we go to evaluation. So this is how well the patient has achieved that outcome. Um, and then we want to look at, you know, our three possible outcomes. So we can terminate the care plan. So this is great news, right? I said, um, while my patient was in the hospital, they will not have any falls. So now it's discharge day and guess what? The patient has not had any falls. So I can terminate that care plan, right? Because they're going home and we really did a good job of, of making sure that the patient had everything they needed not to have a fall while they were in the facility. I can modify the care plan if there are difficulties. So we'll, we'll stick with the falls here. I have a patient who I said, I don't want them to fall while they're here. Well, guess what? They started getting out of bed all the time. So now I'm going to modify that care plan by saying, I'm going to put a bed alarm on this patient. Um, and you know, that way I'm going to hear when they get out of bed. I'm also going to make sure that um, we put non-slip socks on this patient because they do keep getting out of bed. And when they are, you know, they're, they don't have shoes here. So I'm going to make sure we keep those socks on the patient. Uh, so, and sometimes it is just little tweaks like that. Um, or I'm going to be continuing that care plan, right? So if it is like, hey, it's working great, but we need more time, we're going to continue this, right? This patient hasn't fallen so far. Uh, their hospital stay was extended out a little bit. Or, you know, we're still working with physical therapy on getting this patient strong. So we're just going to continue this care plan as is. Uh, and then we're just going to keep reviewing each step of the nursing process, right? Because we don't ever, ever, ever stop assessing. We never stop adding data. So it could be that we are continuously 
tweaking these things. It could be that some nursing diagnoses fall off because as I spend more time with this patient, I see, you know what, not only is that not a priority, it's not actually something that I need to worry about at all. But let me tell you what did arise, you know, the last few days that I've spent with this patient. Um, so we're constantly adding, uh, you know, more interventions, more potential complications, more opportunities for education the longer we spend with that patient. Our types of outcomes that we have for the patient, uh, we have cognitive outcomes. So these are our readiness for enhanced knowledge things. You know, this is my, I'm gonna tell this patient, and it's even things like, you know, when, if the wound starts to look like this, call the doctor, you know, here are the signs and symptoms of infection, or, you know, tell me when you, um, or, you know, talk to me about diet changes that you can implement to maintain a, a healthy blood glucose level, you know? And then psychomotor outcomes. These are outcomes like, let's say we have a newly diagnosed diabetic, right? And now they're gonna have to go home and give themselves shots of insulin. So in this, my psychomotor objectives are gonna relate to, patient is gonna be able to return demonstrate how to give themselves a shot of insulin before they go home. Our effective uh, outcomes, these are changes in values, beliefs, and attitudes of a patient. So um, these ones are a little tougher, right? So we kind of have to think about what are reasonable changes in patient values. You know, how can I get this patient to understand why these health promotion behaviors are important? And then our physiologic, these are physical changes in the patient. So, uh, you know, if we have a, a goal of, um, you know, this person putting on their shoes again independently, it could be something like that even, right? But those are our four types of outcomes. And then how do we evaluate it? Um, you know, we look to see, well, I mean, a big thing with our patients, we're always going to ask for return demonstration, uh, verbalizing understanding, uh, what, you know, is there assessment data that is objective that we can now report, you know, because of hopefully the success of our interventions. So we're, we're like I said, always collecting that data, then interpreting that data. Um, and then it, it really does come down to our judgment a little bit sometimes, like, yes, I feel the patient patient met this goal, um, you know, I think we can stop these interventions or no, I don't think we're there yet. Let's, let's continue them. Or, you know, again, it's, it's our judgment on these interventions are not working time to modify the plan. So that's a little bit more detailed uh, explanation of the nursing process for you all. Um, I hope that, uh, that that helps to clear up any muddy points and hopefully didn't feel as rushed as our, our down and dirty intro to it yesterday. All right. Thank you so much.